What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. We're back. Again. Again. Volume 4 or 5. It's one of those, we're back, though. But yeah. Um, Semi-regular. It's going to be a little more regular scheduled again. Uh, I'm off uh, working weekends for the next three weekends. Uh, so we're back to relatively regular scheduled programming. I uh, just came off a 24-hour shift. Um, so feeling good. Got my coffee ready to go. Um, this week's episode, as always, is brought by 10,000. Use your code CRONESFIT15 for 15% off your order. Uh, check out the store. They have just um, re-released their tackle short. Um, so I'm kind of pumped to see to buy a pair and see how, how it works. But um, highly recommended. Their shorts are pretty much the only shorts I wear nowadays. Yeah, uh, I will second that motion. I wear their shorts for running. I've got uh, the intervals, and then I've got those functional shorts the tactical shorts for weightlifting, uh, which is great. But I'm starting to do my brick workouts again for Ironman prep. And, uh, oh, first one was this week. And, like, it's relatively easy compared to the ones I've done in the past. But it's going to be a fun time going forward, especially with the weather. Like, yesterday it was beautiful. I think it was 50 degrees out. Um, had no problem running. Uh, biking, though, I- I'm still going to keep that thing hooked up to an indoor trainer because... I don't trust New York City to have consistent weather enough to be able to plan going for, mm-hmm. you know, 50, 60, 70-mile bike rides here in the near future. Yeah, I can only imagine that. Uh, that's one thing I noticed when I was, like, doing, like, the long runs is, like, planning considerations. Actually, you actually have to, have to plan ahead and, like, come up with routes and certain things, which is kind of annoying when you, when you think about, like, lifting. We can just, like, show up at the gym and just, like, kind of figure it out as you go. Whereas yeah. like running or like biking long distances, just you actually have to have like a, a plan going into it. What's really annoying because all of the water stations are shut down in Central Park. Mm. Like I've got that Osprey water thing. I think it carries a liter or two on my back, and I can keep some goose on, and it fits fine. But I mean, you're adding a couple ounces, maybe a couple pounds here and there on the run, and you do feel it as you're you're going and eating on the run is way different than eating on a bike, which, uh, I feel like I've mastered on the bike. I've still not gotten it for the run. Yeah. I think for the run, what I did was I usually would like just take small bites and then just try and like not really chew too much. I kind of like have mushy stuff or like goo yeah. and just kind of swallow it with like a bunch of water. Which goose have you tried? Cause I tried goo, the GU. I think I did the Gatorade goose. I think, oh, then Honey Stinger. Uh, I've tried those a bunch. Which ones do you like the most? Yeah, I've had the Goos and the Honey Stingers. I actually think I like the Honey Stingers the most of any goo that I've done. Or just in general, I like, like Honey Stinger products. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm definitely biased with Honey Stinger because of they helped us out. Uh, for those of you that have been around for the last three years, uh, we were able to give out a lot of their product uh, as part of a promotion with them. But back in regiment, and I think it's probably still the case. I can't imagine they switched brands, but God, like every TFT and deployment was just phenomenal. Like the Coca Cola uh, gummies. Oh yeah, yeah, the the gummies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the gummies were great. Yeah. I like the uh, the was it the dark chocolate coconut bars. Oh my God! Yeah, it was like desserts. So good. Yeah, Uh, I I mean again they're it, it the. Yeah, the dark chocolate cherry, and then the there, were, yeah, coconut and the cherry. Yeah, the blue. I ones. would I would sit there and just crush them. We sent them to a bunch of guys down six RTB, 
um, to, to have them while they're walking. I mean, it's phenomenal. Great product. Sorry, we're on like a, a tangent now with fueling. Um, I do want to talk about, though, like New York City and athleticism. Here we go. Because I can't imagine, like minus some sports, say your basketball, because there's, you know, there's courts all over the, the city, but it's, you know, it's an island. There's not enough f- fields. There's, there aren't enough of them to, I think, find any good athletes when it comes to like your baseball, your football, your soccer, cross country, I would even say is limited in a, and then lacrosse too. I never see organized sports beyond like a seven on seven anywhere in Central Park. And it's always small groups of kids learning from like a single instructor who's probably our age and you know they range in age from 7 to 13 I have to wonder and you're a doctor so you might have taken classes that that point to this kind of discussion but is there a disadvantage that kids like in the city will have maturing physically because of like a lack of access to the sports that we grew up with outside in a more rural environment uh, I mean, I don't think, I think like logically you can think about it. I think from like a similar perspective from like a, like urban food desert type perspective where, you know, sure. living in the city, you don't have as much access to like fresh, um, produce and what have you, uh, depending on where you live. And then of course, uh, not, not growing up like in a field. Yeah. I can only imagine that, um, that would have some, you know, effects on your, you know, the rest of your life in terms of physical development. Um, you know, like growing up, I remember like growing up playing Reese, like we have it like gym class growing up and playing like sports from like, you know, kindergarten essentially until I graduated high school. I played like I had gym class, but I also heard that in, you know, in, in America, I feel like I've heard, read or seen somewhere that like most schools don't have gym class anymore. Like only like 25% of schools have gym classes now because they just like cut funding for that. Like yeah, it blows my mind. It's, it's the same with the music, but I always feel badly. I grew up in in the suburbs outside of DC, and like soccer was was my primary sport. And we would play tournaments, or we would play teams within the national capital NCSL against guys from you know north in Maryland to pretty far south in Virginia, and then further west, almost to the West Virginia border, because there were just fields everywhere. So there were hundreds of teams. Mm-hmm that competed for positions uh, in the league and then in tournaments like the Virginia Cup. But I can't imagine you can do that in New York City. One, to get outside of the city to play, it's almost as bad in Jersey and I would say most of like Brooklyn, Long Island area because there's just no field. It's so industrialized. There's just so many you know, communities and apartment buildings. I don't know where these kids would play any sports to begin with. So if like Central Park is it, Unless you live in a very specific location in the city, mm-hmm. between like 59th and 110th or 115th, I don't see you getting access to the types of fields to really make yourself a good athlete or a you know a good soccer player, lacrosse player, whatever needs like a big open field to really develop some of those acute skills. Sure, but I also think that's like uh, why the country is also facing. Um like difficulty finding physically fit recruits now, like the recruiting population is getting smaller and smaller because of, you know, physical, physical inactivity, obesity, um, and things like that. Just because kids nowadays, you know, aren't, they don't have 
set the same ability to have like physical education and PE class, which is kind of crazy to think about. Cause like, I don't feel like we're that old, but like, you know, it's like back in the day type of thing, you know, like back in my day, oh, we had gym class back in my yeah, day. I remember having to do the mile. Class. Yeah. The mile PT test in elementary school, yeah, the, the mile in middle yeah. school. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted the presidential fitness badge. I, like, I don't think some people wanted to try. I hit puberty later than most. I won't lie. I mean, it was like uh, not through high school that I really started maturing, but like I was still trying to get after it. And so I think some kids were like kind of going through that phase of this is conformist. It's not cool. I don't want to sweat. That's when Axe body spray came out. Mm-hmm. And goddamn, did key middle school smell like every awful variant that they produced because kids would spray it in the hallway before class. They'd spray it in the locker room after gym. I mean, it's disgusting. I thought that smelled worse than just like body odor. Yeah. Talk about memories. A lot of, a lot of memories are there. Old person stuff now. Now we're old. Seriously but, old. You know, you bring up a good thing, the the obesity issue. If we look down to like DC, I feel like every single time I see one of the National Guardsmen that's been assigned the 20,000 plus now, like we have a serious obesity issue in the army. Like I see, you know, we see it in active duty all the time, but it was on full display with these national guard units showing up. You know, it was, I was shocked to be honest. Like, and I know some military meme pages have been like, you know, taking photos of them and making memes out of them. But it's, uh, I think it's like a dangerous precedent that we're setting from that early age of not having physical development in elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools to now we're seeing the results in 20-somethings in the Army, whether it's National Guard or active duty now. No, that's 100% accurate. Um, I, well, I would think that's 100% accurate. Like, like I started lifting weights when I was, like, 12 years old because I started high school football. And then, like, going into high school football, like I was told to show, during the summer before high school to show up at the gym and start lifting weights to get ready for high school football. And that's how I started lifting weights. And that's just been, like, my life since then. From, like, 12 yeah. until... 30 you know i've lifted weights for more than half my life at this point i didn't lift weights until college because running cross country and doing soccer like we were always told oh if you lift you're gonna get bigger you're gonna get slower and we need you to be lean and fast and then you'd look at guys that were running 15 minute three miles or 16 minute 5ks and all of them were incredibly lean so Mm -hmm. As far as what I had to gauge growing up with the people that I looked up to from freshman year to senior year, it was like the skinny crowd. And it said to me, okay, I don't need to lift weights to be successful at this sport. Um, So I just can't imagine what kind of influence now between the Instagram life, the Fortnite online video games, and lack of PT or fitness in schools does for kids growing up with no then physical outlet outside of you know, maybe their parents signing them up for a, a really expensive sport, which is incredibly expensive to begin with. Now we can talk about that between the cleats and just getting on a team as thousands of dollars where before I felt like it was pretty affordable mm-hmm. in the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Like I played, you know, sports growing up. My parents had me up for like rec leagues growing up, soccer, um, tennis, all of like the sports. Um, and then like I got into lacrosse in high school, middle school and high school. And that was like my sport. Um, so I like played lacrosse, played football for a little bit. Um, so I think that's where like, I, you know, got into sports and the whole like dynamic. I think it's also like, um, 
you know, where I think I, I kind of socialized a lot and developed kind of like some leadership abilities, you know? Right. Like in high school, being like a, like a captain lacrosse team um, and developing that, like, uh, I guess, leadership skill at a relatively early age. Uh, I don't think I appreciated it until, you know, in the, like, like just being on a team in general um, until like we got in the military and then realized that like, Oh, the military is kind of like being on a sports team. You know, you're all on the same team. You all have certain jobs and then you have to help each other accomplish the mission or the, you know, to, to win. And it's just like such a, such a direct parallel that has served uh, me very well in terms of like, you know, being able to assimilate well into a team, being able to like work well with others, having leadership ability, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Would you say that the amount of athletes that we have, say on the like the enlisted side of the house, or if we looked at, at the enlisted rangers, I would bet that it was almost like a two to one ratio of those who grew up playing sports compared oh. to like the officer cohort. Dude, like, I, I, like, I would say yeah. a ton of officers don't grow up playing sports and you can usually tell that in like their interpersonal skills, whether it's like going through something stupid that's, you know, stressful and not being able to have any experiences before on like a team with like a, you know, 10 seconds left in the game, who's going to take the final shot type situation. I feel like a lot of officers don't play sports. And then the majority of those who do, who have like really good leadership skills or tend to be the enlisted personnel. Yeah. I would say like, uh, um, for sure, at least in regiment or probably like in soft in general, you know, I think a certain personality or a certain, um, personality type, uh, persists in these environments because, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, more like soft is going to have uh, people that are good teammates that are able to uh, work well in teams, like have some leadership abilities, be independent, but still, you know, have um, some drive to, to do good things. So I think like that, pers- that, that those skill or I guess those life lessons you learn playing sports growing up, like directly apply into, into the military and then specifically in the soft when you have the smaller teams. Um, like I just remember like all the lessons I learned, like, like I didn't appreciate it until after the fact, like, um, like the discipline to go to practice. Um, I didn't appreciate like how much that directly translated it into like my present day life and like in the military in terms of, you know, nobody wants to wake up early to go work out before you go to practice or before you go to school. Right. Like, nobody wants to stay, like, after wrestling practice to stay for another hour to, like, work out more. Like, but that discipline that you develop at an early age, I think, persists throughout. And I think, too, that that brings up, like, an interesting point with how much you push yourself when no one is watching. When you're part of a team from an early age, you know that if you suck, you're not going to get any playing time. So if you're not putting an effort outside it's not going to translate well to what your goal is as a member of that team. Uh, the Iron Man, for instance, does not allow individuals to use music, you know, over the course of the swim, uh, the bike or the run, which sucks. Like I would love to, to listen to music, but then, you know, it makes me think whenever I was training up in the military, I didn't run with headphones in. Mm-hmm. I generally didn't lift listening to music. I feel like that's one of those things that if you play on a sports team because you've done so many conditioning drills, you've done so much conditioning in the past where you're not reliant on music to hype you up, doing stuff like that is easier because you don't have to be motivated by an external source to get something done. It's very much, I've been on a team, I know personally that I'm going to be able to knock something out that I set my mind to because 
I've had that, you know, back of the head type kind of motion of saying, no, get this done now because someone's relying on you. Yeah, I always thought it was a, I remember the first time like, uh, like deployed and like going out to the wire and like putting on my kit. I remember like distinctly, I distinctly remember this, uh, like feeling that like it was like, I would like flashback to high school and like putting on my pads before a game, like for a big game. It was just like a strange kind of like almost deja vu type feeling. It's like the same nervous energy you get before a big game. You know, I had like before going out the wire and I was just like, this is very strange. But um, it was like, I thought, you know, like this high school sports like prepared me very well because I knew how to like deal with nervous energy. Like I knew um, like before, like before wrestling matches or before like football, like games, I, like how to deal with that nervous energy and how to like channel the energy into you know being ready for the mission or for for the game and that you know translated directly in the military like understanding like how my body reacts when i get nervous like how to control my breath control my heart rate to like calm myself down like those are skills i think i picked up in like playing sports growing up that directly translate in the military yeah for sure i didn't play any contact sports because like why would you look at my face what who would want to risk that um but I remember getting ready to go on missions and almost every single mission, I feel like I could trace back to one of those like individual moments where you had to prepare, uh, for me every single time I was in regiment getting kitted up, whether it was at like a TFT or deployed, I would think back to waiting outside of the board, you know, to hear my results or waiting to go in and report and, you know, get crushed through a presentation or get asked really difficult questions by, whether it was the the RCO or, you know, sergeants majors, like, you know, dealing with that. Um, and then before it was, you know, what kind of physical preparation have I done where you're standing on that PT line ready to take that two-mile run and you're just like, for me, that was the most nervous part of the PT test because I knew how much it was going to hurt if I pushed myself. Mm-hmm. And just being comfortable with that anticipatory pain level mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm going to do it regardless. Yeah, and it's like, uh, yeah, I just think it's like all these. It's it's funny, like reflecting back on like uh, I think like my development over the years. It's kind of interesting seeing or picking up like certain themes or like seeing like how certain experiences have like shaped me into who I am today. I think it's just like a, a good testament to like um, you know doing and pushing yourself at, and doing hard things when you're young. Because it, yeah, you, like it, you never know where where it can potentially lead you or develop you in the future. Yeah. So I mean, you know, going back to the main point with the army having a weight issue, you know, I could also say there's probably that, like, I think a social media definitely plays a role in in the obesity uh, epidemic in the army, and and this might be a stretch, but hear me out. I feel like when my parents were in. And when I first got in, you really only had, especially for for us, like Facebook was the only social media you could have. And there wasn't anything cool or, you know, story worthy. It was just kind of like every once in a while people would dump albums on and you'd be able to see them on their posts. Mm -hmm. And people growing up, one, you know, aspire to go be a Green Beret, to be a Ranger, to be like whatever the best that they could possibly be within the Army, even if that just resulted in a profile pic. And I feel like now the generation, more soldiers enter not caring that they join like a soft component or that they go to ranger school or they go to sapper school or they earn their airborne wings. They're much more concerned, at least from what I see on on an online presence, 
like the TikToking in uniform, being like an influencer because just having a uniform on now gives you clout. You don't have to be a member of Range Regiment or the Green Berets because if you look at that too, I I think there's only one like video game dude that's an SF cat that has like a TikTok, but I've never seen Rangers or Green Berets in TikToks. It's always like these non-infantry, non-combat arm types. They're usually like, I can't even tell you where they're, they're taking these TikToks, like in a motor pool on, you know, maintenance Mondays, but it does not seem like we are promoting like that really badass commercial the Army released a year and a half ago. It's like now we're focused way more on this just weird watch me do this dancing uniform type environment military wide. I mean, you're still in. So what is your take on that? I mean, I don't necessarily think that, um, it's a product. I think it's more so just the product of the times that people grew up in. Cause I'm sure like, you know, if TikTok and Instagram were around when we were like coming up, I think that there'd be the exact same thing would happen. I don't think it's like necessarily, you know, reflective that the generation that that's up and coming is like weaker or like not as capable. I think it's just a product of today's, um, like social media environment and technological environment that breeds this, um, attitude. Cause I'm like a hundred percent sure. Like if like Instagram and like Snapchat and shit were like a thing growing up, like in, you know, at West Point or like an RTC, like guaranteed you, it'd be just as cringy. Cause I remember like being cringy, like at 18 years old too. Like it's not, oh, yeah. it's, it's like not unique to, to kids growing up. And I think, that like people our age or like the older veterans or older active duty people just like kind of cringe or like laugh at like the younger kids that do it. But, um, you know, damn well, like 10 years ago, um, you probably are, I probably have done something similar, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think it's, you know, we were doing whatever was cool on social media at the time yeah. that, you know, we were late teens to early twenties. I just worry that, long-term effects for like soft recruiting are going to be hurt by people joining the army and, and not really caring about joining soft, but more, you know, can I just wear a, a red beret so I can get more followers on my random account? I mean, or like there's the, there's the West point dude that I think he might've gotten out of the army now, but he was a tabless infantry officer. He's got like a YouTube personality thing where he talks about being like, uh, uh, mechanized PL and a deployment, but that deployment was to Romania or something like rather than developing himself to go to ranger school and be what is expected to be a successful infantry officer. Like he's working on these YouTube personalities and personas. Like that's where I see the correlation between like people not caring about pursuing excellence and then like falling back on this social media type, like gratification from others that really don't understand what that person has or has not accomplished in the military. I don't, I don't really think that matters. I, I don't think that really uh, waters down the quality of applicants to, to soft. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, motivated people and highly driven people are still going to want to go to these these units, whether or not there's going to be a social media, you know, presence there or not, you know. I think the people, the fact that, the, uh, you know, that these accounts get popular is because um, I think people are just curious about military life. And, like, uh, I mean, I personally hate vlogs and, like, this YouTube personalities because I think it's all fake. I think, you know, all social media is fake to begin with. And you're just putting out – you're just creating persona 
to you know sell a product or sell yourself to people so i don't really think like i'm I'm a big fan of that in general but at the same time though like i don't think that necessarily is going to hurt recruiting or hurt you know the pool of applicants you can draw from because you know selections are going to work regardless of who applies yeah and um you know, the people that want to be there are going to be there. And the ones that don't want to be there, the ones that are there, like, <clears throat> for the for the clout of saying they have a tab. You know, you know, and I know that just saying that you want to get a tab for just to say, for the sake of getting a tab isn't going to be enough to push you through ranger school. Same thing with, like, no. any selection. So I don't think no, it really matters, right. like, if guys want to, like, say that, you know, they have a social media account, profile and, like, they want to go through these selections to, like, try and build their clout. That's not motivate. That's not going to be good enough to make it through. So I don't think it's going to. I don't think it really affects that. But like yeah, the army I, as a whole, maybe you could talk. You could argue a little bit about like professionalism. But at the same time, like I don't. I honestly don't find like it harmful to do like TikToks or any of that stuff. I don't think it's necessarily harmful. It's just like kids trying to be trendy and be kids. Like you know, they're like eight. These are kids at the end of the day, and then that's just what right. They grew but up it's with. it's still like a marketing like scheme then too that the army should consider because if 99% of these military influencers are like nobodies that really, you know, from a military perspective have not accomplished anything, um, are maybe out of shape are not doing any kind of like difficult training are then creating like excuses for why they're not in different units or why they fail if that's the only messaging that people that are interested in the military get to see on a regular basis because everything is done through Instagram and Twitter, then I think the Army should have a, a larger concern that people join thinking that that's the standard instead of thinking the standard is, you know, that hard as nails squad leader from 175 or thinking it's some badass Green Beret speaking posh to, and then the next thing you know, he's getting on a 50 caliber turning fire. Like, I feel like the military has, and we've talked about it before in a larger context, has a marketing problem with, you know, creating a, what I would consider like a a real hard soldier. Like, you know, you can do whatever you want in the military is just such a, I think a weak statement from, from a, a component that's really just about fighting on the ground and kicking the shit out of an enemy force. Like be whatever you can be. Sure. That's air force. You can do whatever the hell you want in the air force. But for a, a fighting population um, in, you know, America's military branch of the army, like that needs to be messaging of, you know, we don't take prisoners, hyperbole there, but, you know, we're the hardest motherfuckers out here. The Marines be damned. We're getting after it. Because um, I feel like the Marines out on social media get dogged all the time. There was that, like, you know, the the wife that stood in front of the staff sergeant doing like, you know, my husband's a Marine, do, you know, this weird TikTok dance. I think that dude get dragged through the mud. And you, the only other Marine out there is like some random sergeant major in a recruiting battalion. But I never see Marines on these social media platforms. It's always like really cringy army soldiers. I don't know. It's like, I think the army made a very conscious decision to make that their marketing uh, or recruiting effort because I think they, um, you know, have uh, like research or data that suggests that this is more effective way to appeal to younger and future recruits by saying by you know 
by appealing to the fact that you can do whatever you want in the military. And that's like, uh, what is it? Their the new slogan is like, choose your choose your warrior or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, but like, it's like, I think it's a pretty, I mean, from a, you know, impartial, we'll try to like be, you know, try and see what they're trying to do. But, you know, what they're ultimately trying to do is, you know, take away the uh, stigma maybe of like only idiots join the military to go fight overseas, you know? And it's like trying to appeal to the younger generation who, you know, don't look, who want to develop skills or learn, you know, a trade that can then transfer over to a civilian job and then be a success and transfer over and do something, you know, that's can yeah. apply outside the military. I mean, but still at the end of the day, that's not ever going to be the infantry. The infantry is never going to be the job yeah. that transfers a skill set other than working some sort of security or police force. Like, you know, like I, I don't think the army is going to be hurting if we don't have a lot of people signing up to be like a random S1 clerk or an HR specialist or like someone helping out randomly, you know, in a hospital. I think where the army hurts for recruiting long term with an obesity issue or with a messaging issue is going to be those that are, you know, front line, tip of the spear, pulling the trigger. Um, I, I think that's if you don't have enough infantrymen or infantry persons, whatever they're coming out with now to fill those ranks, you have an issue fighting because the logistics can be great. Sure, we've got a ton of people that join the army for these skill sets that they can get out in three to six years and go work a civilian job somewhere as like a tech and, and they've been set up and they've you know had a great education to that point. But we're never going to need them if the front line is wiped out in one massive attack because we have so little messaging for being infantrymen, you know, as much as I hate to say it, be a tanker, you know, be a field artilleryman, like be the combat arms. That's the, the long reach of the military. You know, I don't give a shit about, you know, my elbow or my arm. I want my fist to make contact. And I feel like we're missing that fist component. I don't, I don't think so. I think that the people that want to do that are going to do that regardless of what, whatever they get pitched by the recruiting ads. Yeah. Um, cause ultimately what I think the army is concentrating its efforts on is the, um, like the soft skills in order to, you know, increase the, you know, the soft skill branches. I mean, um, I mean, I don't know the data, but I mean, you'd have to take a look at the data and see like what and how recruiting efforts have been going. But I have to imagine that like the people that would want to, you know, be infantry aren't going to watching a commercial on like choose your warrior isn't going to pump them up to go infantry you know they're going to want to do it regardless of that yeah you're you're going to have that passion well before yeah so you know these these commercials is a conscious effort by the army to target like a certain demographic or like certain you know subset of um you know recruiting age population to try and get them to enlist or join the military um to you know help propagate some other you know branches you know, but it's weird, though, if we look at the messaging from other branches, I feel like the Air Force is very much focused on, like, this is graduate level work. Mm-hmm. You're going to be working at the, you know, highest reaches of our, you know, technological capacity uh, from a military perspective. The Navy is just about Navy SEALs, like, exclusively just about Navy SEALs. But then the Army seems to be the branch that just. Like, again, aside from the commercials that have come out in the last 18 months, I feel like that is the – it's like the weakest branch marketing of any one of the services. Yeah, but Marines the Army's are cool, but – Also, like, the biggest. You know, the Army's the biggest that has, you know, the 
by by being the biggest needs the more the larger support system behind it so i don't necessarily think that's you know a bad thing okay yeah you know like the marines like the marines have like a certain uh already have a certain like vibe to the being marine like all the marine commercials are always badass commercials and that's the kind of personality that joins the marines like you join the marines because you want to go like do that stuff you won't join yeah. the marines to become an infantryman to get to get to become like go be like to do oorah stuff but like yeah. a lot of people you know in the in the army i feel like join the army it's like mixed you have some people that won't join to like um to like be infantry but then you have a lot of other people that join the, the army just for you know education or to develop a future um or like uh develop skills for a future oh. profession I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think that's just the nature of the army. Just the army is so large that it requires like good candidates and all, or good people in all you know jobs. Right. Well, that that's why when they do officer slating, they fill each branch up to fifty percent. Then they move to the back of an OML and start filling up the rest of like I think twenty five to thirty percent before going back higher up on the list so that there's an even distribution mm-hmm. of talent. And that, like, a transportation branch isn't left with the bottom 10% of an OML list. Yeah. Like, I, I totally get that. And that's one of those things that I told myself waiting to see whatever branch I got that whatever I'm going to serve in my capacity. And I think that's what's great about SF. If if you're, like, an officer that kind of gets one of these soft skill branches that you have no interest in serving in, you just wait three years, do really well, be the best that you can possibly be in, in that component and then go drop a packet and, and you know, change, change your branch um, and take those skill sets on because I guarantee they're going to come in handy when you're a logistics dude and you're in Afghanistan coordinating for, you know, part of an ANA core and you've got to, you know, coordinate a mission. Like, you'll be able to do the tactical part of that pretty easily with, you know, the other 18 series around you and command team, but maybe the logistics is something that nobody has any idea on and now you're the subject matter expert. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, you know... I think probably the army does have like a issue in terms of recruiting like physically fit people um, or physically fit candidates to fill like the other, you know, more desirable jobs. But at the end of the day, I, th- I feel like there's never going to be a shortage. Well, you know, there's probably not going to be a shortage of guys that or guys and girls that want to, you know, join the infantry or go become sign the 18X contract or sign the option 40 contract. Like it's, I feel like um, it's. They don't even have option forty contracts anymore. Where guys, you know, have to go to AIT and then out of AIT volunteer to go to RASP, and I think that's, you know, I think that's just uh, indicative of the fact that, you know, they have so many people that want to join, like the, uh, more elite units already. We we've talked about this, I think, briefly, probably in, like the first year we had the podcast, but. And, and it sucks saying it out loud because I remember when I was in regiment, I was like, I never want to do these jobs. Like I would never want to be a basic training company commander. I would never want to be a recruiter. I would feel badly if one of my rangers had to be a drill instructor because it was this guy's time and effort should be focused on doing what he's really, really good at. And that's jumping out of planes, seizing airfields and going on raids. But I also think if you saw because we have a personal friend that's having an issue trying to get you know his contract squared away to to enlist and go into regiment 
if you had individuals that had those experiences in those key positions to make sure that they could screen individuals that came in and said, hey, I want to sign an option 40. I want to go, you know, the 18 x-ray route. Again, you'd have that role model to look up to and say, holy shit, like Sergeant First Class Jones is a monster. Like that's what I need to look like in order to be successful in the Army. Or my company commander uh, at, you know, um, basic for, and this is hypothetical, is coming from Ranger Regiment, you know, so he's going to push that company to, you know, outperform the other companies to try to physically match what was in regiment. So I almost feel like now when we look at drill instructors and recruiters, maybe part of the Abrams Charter means that we have to take more guys out of regiment and stick them in these positions that maybe they don't want to go to, but for the needs of the Army would do a much better job at promoting soft than maybe what people are seeing just online or on TV right now. What do you think about that? No, I would 100% agree. I think those jobs are probably the most influential job that you can hold in the military. Like you talk about like being a, you know, like a platoon leader for um for like a like platoon of like 20 or 30 dudes, right? And then you talk about being a basic uh, basic uh, training uh, company commander for a company of 200 soldiers, but 10 classes a year. So you have, you know, 2000 soldiers that you are directly have the ability to directly influence and same thing for like drill instructors. Like you have such a massive influence on potentially the future of the military just by, you know, by being in these jobs, you know, which ultimately kind of suck. But, um, you know, I think, maybe drill and maybe recruiting get kind of a bad rap because you know it, they're kind of filled with a bunch of shit bags that are trying to dodge the line yeah absolutely and, and they're heavy like i remember again we i told the story before i bullock went and did pt with a, a basic trainee company and the, you know we did like this pt competition with the drill instructors and absolutely smoked them like it, it was not even close in their own workout that they picked and i remember thinking that's not good like, I've just come in the Army. I'm just getting, like, my fitness underneath of me as far as military fitness goes. And it, it was not – it was, like – it was embarrassing to me to see, like, the basic trainees now see their drill instructors that they think are, like, these physical gods. Yeah. Um, and I think and I think Regiment does it very well in terms of, like, the RSTC company has, like, the best NCOs with RSTC because – Oh, yeah. Th- because that's – they understand, I think, um, and created a culture where that is, like – where the best guys go because they understand that's the best, you know, and most one of the more influential positions that you can have on the next generation. And I think that, you know, probably the army and probably the military as a whole kind of does a disservice in terms of recruiting and, and basic training by not putting the best officers or best, you know, NCOs in these positions to, to meld the, the future generations. Like too many, like, you know, kind of like shit bags or people that just get by and go to these positions to take like to you know take a load off essentially, and, and it not just bleeds not through. all of them, but not all, but of them, a lot but like, of a lot of them do. Yeah. There's shit bags in every unit that you go to because I remember at our RASP class, our first sergeant, um, I remember him talking like, "I don't get beat in the ruck when I go up against guys in RASP one. I'm gonna win every single RPAT uh, that I take." And the dude was a physical monster. And that that was a first sergeant, so the dude's been in for like what. 14 to 16 mm-hmm. years up until that point he's a sergeant major now but like that was what i wished i could have seen from like the drill instructor crew that i first encountered at iBook. i wished for, from an officer standpoint um we've talked a lot about when how how do you get into ranger regiment 
but like what's next after Ranger Regiment? For the guys that stay in, you know, you go to career course and then it becomes, I want to go back to Ranger Regiment as quick as possible. So I need to find that brigade that either has a short command queue or I need to find a unit where I can do like something influential for maybe a year, take command. So two and a half years from now, I'm back in, you know, wearing a tambourine. And I always wish that in iBullock, they would take these pre-command captains, make them either the iBullock company commander or an iBullock platoon tack. And then after their year, 18 months there, they're automatic. It's not even like it's up to the brigade commander's discretion at these forward units. It's okay, we're taking Captain Camperson and he's going to go take over, you know, some company in uh, 2nd Brigade 4ID. Like, that's an automatic. I don't have to wait in the queue. And I think that would promote, especially from uh, the officer side of the house, guys going and giving back in these kind of roles. And then you're really putting some of the, you know, top 10% of the, the infantry branch in front of the brand new 2nd Lieutenant's that are worried about going to ranger school. Okay, not only do we have a ranger qualified guy here, but we have a guy from regiment. Not only do we have an individual that's maybe deployed, but seen combat. So you instill in this like junior leadership crew, like some of those traits that make up more of the upper echelon of, of an infantry year group. And again, it might sound, I don't think it's coming across as braggadocious. If it, if it, if it is, I don't mean to, but there is a, a hierarchy within the infantry of guys like if you get into regiment if you serve in these positions like it's completely competitive and guys have to step up and do that and i think they should be rewarded for it yeah but the uh like the ris that come out of uh like a chemist career course and go like the rtbs don't they take like finish their like you know like platoon trainer like tour and then go into a company command isn't that like the deal that they cut yeah, but I think it's like two years that they're down at these duty stations. I've had a couple buddies that did that, um, and it's you know it's great for them that they they get these opportunities. And I think that's the same thing. Like you could go be an RI after Triple uh, C. Like I would have loved to have taken on both the eye bullet position, something at RTB. But I thought I would get to my brigade and get be given a company command. Essentially, I was just I was that confident that that. I was competing against either untabbed, no deployment, or individuals that I felt like my resume stacked up higher than. And I've learned, like, you know, years later how to channel and, and be more humble with stuff. But at that time, like, all I wanted to do was take command. Um, but, yeah, like, being being an RI would have been an awesome experience. But, again, it goes back to, you know, between iBullock and being at, at Ranger School – it's like that same crowd. You're going to see the go-getters at a ranger school. You're not going to be worried about seeing duds because by the time they either get to Florida, you know, the pass rate is significantly higher than at Benning. But at iBullock, you can really help weed out or at least make better those individuals that, you know, every infantry officer course has that you just go, dude, how did you branch infantry? This is whatever. I'm going to make sure that whenever you take a platoon over, you know the basics um, and are going to be at least physically fit enough to, to help your, your sergeant first class who's going to end up being the platoon leader mm-hmm. yeah and then uh i just remember just as a kind of like a personal note like uh going to west point and like having a really great like company tag officer that was like you know ranger it was a tabbed infantry officer and like always stressed about like physical fitness and like instilling good um 
it was just like a great role model for me to follow like as a as like a brand new cadet um so i was it, that kind of memory like always sticks in the back of my head of like how much like having good leaders in um like modeling or just modeling like good behavior or like modeling what you should be to like very um uh uh impressionable young men and women is such a like um it's sort of like a power or like a uh, like a hidden like skill that I think it goes unappreciated by people until you like get in those positions or or like reflect back on it because I know you you probably have the same experience like as a cadet or growing up um, having that you know really influential leader that really modeled to you like what you should be as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. We we had a a guy that was a captain that got promoted to major, but. He had been enlisted in regiment, enlisted SF, went back as an officer SF, and he was just like the epitome of, you know, at the time we thought like, cool, like, holy shit, this guy has done anything and everything. You know, you want the chest candy, he's got it. He's got, you know, he's tabbed out. That was that motivating factor. I want to look like this person. Mm -hmm. And I think if you make that happen in multiple formations, in general, you just raise that that competitiveness where people are striving to emulate like really great leaders. And from what Bobby and I are saying too, it's not saying you can't be a great leader in these other branches. You can't be a great leader without a tab. You can't be a great leader and be like super out of shape, but there is a level of like respect for that kind of competency and those skill sets that you develop from pushing yourself and competing against others and going to these units uh in schoolhouses that like i think commands a little bit more than your regular you know officer yeah i mean like um i always like we've always said from day one like high performers are going to be high performers and you know i think um to to really develop the next generation is you have to put high performers in front of you know impressionable people to model what you know what discipline hard work and like determination can do for your career because like you know if i didn't have like i you know if i didn't have you know like when i was 18 like i didn't know the difference between like infantry or or whatever i didn't know what ranger school was when i was 18 right um but like having this tabbed infantry officer as my company tag like model you know what a ranger tabbed you know infantry officer is was like a like you know just set the bar and like help me form that scheme in my mind of like what this what a you know infantry officer should aspire to be essentially or like what yeah it's like what the what's normal yeah exactly my dad was ranger qualified airborne i grew up my entire life seeing him in uniform and seeing at least that tab and going okay like that is what a basic uniform looks like in the military like i must have those wings i must have that tab bottom line that's what i have to do to to at least emulate my father and i i just think if you have that kind of a figure in your life early on in your military development you're gonna pro if you're again if you're competitive if you grew up playing sports you're gonna constantly push yourself to look just like that person or perform or attempt to perform in the same manner and i think actually that's where like social media becomes uh kind of more beneficial because you know there's all those like accounts now that are talking like soft related accounts that you know that try and increase um kind of the allure of soft you know i'm talking like those like moto videos that some accounts post 
Yeah, but I still think that that makes such such a small presence online compared to the larger presence of like cringy TikTok. Yeah, like I, I mean, that's where I'm maybe. saying if if we if we shifted it to where we saw more individuals, but that's just a problem when when you go out in training, minus some like SF dudes that are taking their GoPros on jumps. Like you're not allowed to take your phone out in regiment. I'm sure it's the same thing in group. So where you get these cool videos or what people think is really cool just from an M4 qualifying range at night, like you're not going to see that from the soft side. I love Ranger Regiment. Their PAO office is like... Has leaves, they're crushing they're it. They're crushing it. Yeah, so that's, it's that's, cool. If you don't but, follow them, you need to follow yeah, them. Yeah, but that's like... Uh, but that's kind of like the... Where I think social media like it can be beneficial because if you don't know about... you know going to become a ranger and then you see these like videos and like oh this looks this is badass and then that, that motivates you to join the military and become a ranger i think that's like a very positive benefit of of, of social media and it, like shows the power you know, of spe- social media speaking of power of social media one phrase that i feel like i've heard more since i've gotten out than whenever was in was got your six or just saying the word six and like the civilian world take like Fox News was talking about was it Lee Greenwood, the guy that sings like proud to be American. It, it, he's like part of some whiskey brand now. And it's like the the whiskey uh, looks like a canteen and then it's got like a dog tag on it. And it says like six or got your six. And all the Fox News hosts were like, that's coming from the military means I've got your back. I've never heard that phrase in my entire time in the military used by any organization I've been in. I've never been like, Hey, we got to go do this. I got your six. Like I've, have you ever heard that line in your entire military career? Like movies or like pop culture probably. <laughs> Where the hell does it come from? Cause it, it, I, it doesn't come from, at least as far as my uh, experiences are concerned, it doesn't come from active duty infantry. I don't like, know. I actually thought it was like, no a one's ever thing. said that. I thought it was like a cop thing. I don't know, but everyone seems to think that it's like this military thing where like even when it comes to like suicide prevention or mental health, people keep like saying like, got your six. Like, if that just means I'm checking in on somebody, that that's a great use of a, of a phrase, but it's not – I don't hear it in the military. I just wish I knew where it came from because it's – I feel like it's like the same crowd. Like it's like the, the non-infantry types – that go into a shoot house with a completely slick kit with their CCOs on the wrong side of the weapon, like are the ones that are saying, got your six. Yeah. Like that. It's not the high speed types that ever use that line. Yeah. It's also like the same, like, uh, sentiment of like, uh, the people that are like the loudest about their service or like, you know, thank me for my service are the ones that ultimately did the least. And I think that it's just like a, uh, like we, I, I've talked, we've talked about this before, but it's like a defense mechanism of you like justifying your experience because you feel ultimately like unfulfilled and uh, un, un, like under um, what the fuck's the word? What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like un um, underappreciated for the role that you played. No, like un um, your destiny or like your potential wasn't manifested by your service. Underperforming. Yeah by like not going to the soft so you like you know we're just like this you know kind of standard guy and then so you buy all the shit after you get out yeah, and you act try like, and like make dude. it seem like that you're yeah. like this huge like hard charger when in fact you weren't just as a way of like mentally justifying yourself like hey like or like you know overcompensating for your your, per- your self-perceived lack of like experience yeah. or something. but 
But that goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, where the image of the military is primarily fueled by some of these underperforming types. So that motto is like, I got your six. And guys wearing, you know, the, the ops corps and wearing a plate carrier that they weren't even issued because they were wearing an ACU IBA when they were in are the ones that are filling everyone's feet and making them think that because they're the loudest, that must be the most common aspect that every veteran shares. Yeah. It's like, that's because it was making me think, because I saw it yesterday or two days ago uh, on like one of the Fox morning shows in the background. And I was just like, who, I got to talk to Bobby. I don't, I've never heard someone say in the military, I got your six. I was like, I don't like, I've heard this saying before, but I've never, you, yeah, I, was like, I thought it was like a movie thing, yeah, like someone, thing, yeah. yeah, not like an actual, I don't know, what would that even be considered in the most, I mean, like you got rear security, but I've never heard even in a stack someone say like, and you've got the six. Patrol base. Patrol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that would count. <laughs> yeah, um. What was I going to say? Oh, I had a question I want to ask you about. Um, in one of the Q&A sessions, some guy was asking about, like, kind of the pathway to get to, like, to Ranger to SF. And someone actually responded and saying, like, hey, I think this dude is look or this person is looking too far ahead. Um, I actually don't think that's a bad thing. Do you think that, like, looking or forecasting or trying to, like, plan a career as, like, when you're, before you know anything is, like, a bad thing? Or what do you, how do you feel about that? No, absolutely not. Um, for guys like an eye Bullock and gals now going to ranger school, I remember while in ranger school, my friends and I were having conversations after having, you know, limited experiences with guys in the platoon, uh, from group or from regiment and making decisions based off of those like interpersonal, uh, relationships we developed like, Oh, like I want to go to regiment because I have three guys from regiment in my squad. They're phenomenal human beings. Like they'll do anything for one another. I want to go to there. And then another guy having a, you know, an ODA dude. And he's like, no, it's the coolest group that I've ever met. But I, as soon as I graduated Ranger school, I was planning out when can I go to SFAS? When could I go to regiment? And for dudes that want to do both regiment and SF as officers, like we've said on the podcast before, like you've said on the, these stories, you need to keep that to yourself. Um, because it is so hyper-competitive, one, to get a platoon in regiment, especially if that platoon is potentially going overseas. Like, that limited experience with so few deployments is huge. But if they find out that you want to go to the special forces and go to selection while you're in regiment, it's, I think in most battalions, like the kiss of death. Because they want infantry officers to take those experiences and then go out to the big army and take company command somewhere and take those lessons learned. And they see that decision leaving regiment to go SF as just kind of more selfish because, you know, for the most part, group is phenomenal. Like they have some incredibly high quality Green Berets. They've got incredible training. They've got awesome rotations and deployments. And so they don't think that coming from regiment or from, from the regiment side of the house, going SF is taking those lessons and what the Abrams charter was really meant to do and promulgating things that you've learned to the conventional side. So it's not something though that you shouldn't plan for. You should still look out in your timeline and be like, okay, two years in, I can go to RASP. Uh, after my PL time, if I got XO time, then I'll go to SFAS. But don't expect to 
be patted on the back and get handshakes from your other rangers because the expectation is you are probably going to try to compete to come back there one day as a company commander. Mm-hmm. So that that's the only thing that I would highlight if individuals from the officer side of the house are trying to do that. Yeah, I'm kind of mixed up like um, about like telling people or like having like these really elaborate plans and goals because I always felt like the guys that like were you know super loud about like i'm gonna do this or like the like the cadets or they never did they never did oh yeah no 100 percent. none of i have a ton of friends that both after ranger school and then during our first duty stations kept telling people i'm going sfas i'm going to rasp i drop packets for this and that and then would either not go would go but would come back and not finish the course out in its entirety. Like they would be there for eight days at SFAS and then quit or get dropped. So as far as vocalizing it, that's where I would typically draw the line. I was very reserved with what I want to, because in my battalion, uh, my battalion commander that signed my 4187 um, to go to regiment changed out. And the next battalion commander came in and told me flat to my face, he would have never signed it if he had been in command. And he thought that it showed uh, the opposite of esprit de corps for wanting to leave the battalion under his command to go and pursue a soft uh, nomination. And I remember being like, this guy's an awful leader. Do not ever be like him um, because people will be offended, especially in a mechanized infantry unit where you might have an armor battalion commander um, or you might have a tabless infantry officer or an infantry officer that didn't make it into those selections or those programs and he's bitter and he's going to hold it against you when it comes to racking and stacking or not signing your paperwork when you want to go. So those are the things that you run into unless you know your battalion commander is from regiment. Then you can be vocal and say, hey, sir, I'd like to pursue this opportunity and then get his guidance and see what he says because he clearly did it at some point in his career. Yeah, I would say like, uh, you know, like growing or like, even like at West Point, I was I always like had a you know like five ten year plan or so, and I think that's it's something that I always tell people is to have like a general scheme or like general trajectory you're trying to follow because I think uh, you know if you plan to go like shoot a trajectory a certain way, like you're still at least pointed in the right direction, you know, even if you don't make quite your ultimate goal or where you're trying to go, but you're still like pointed in the right direction, like for. Um, so that's what like I think about like when guy when people are trying to ask about like career advice as far as like long term planning I think it's you know completely reasonable to to get some advice and to think about the long term um, but as long as you're um, you know pushing yourself to to get to that point I think yeah and what I would say too for those that are that are still listening that are interested in this topic if you are like a junior in high school and you want to go into Ranger Regiment or you want to go SF, asking like what I should be doing now, I think is too early. Like that's an instance of you're planning too early. If you are a brand new second lieutenant at iBullock who has not graduated Ranger School or has just graduated Ranger School, like asking what should I be doing right now physically to prepare to go to RASP or SFAS is too early. Like the, the physical preparation side of the house, if you if you maintain your fitness, can be a six to nine month train up. Um, but at that point, you need to be focusing more on the mental side of the house. Yeah. Like infantry officers, you've got your tab. That's phenomenal. Or if you're just an officer in general and, and you want to go, like you have to be the best of the best at your duty position in your battalion or 
very closely ranked number two. You can't have these goals and then just be like a random cog in the wheel. Like you have to be the driving force in your battalion. When they're like, if there's a decisive element for an operation, if it's not your platoon, that should be an indication that maybe you're not going to be successful when you put in a packet because it's not going to be written on your OER that you know, like you did X, Y, and Z at JRTC or your mission exclusively in you know your uh, battalion's deployment to Afghanistan was this really cool opportunity. Like if you were just some random security force on Bagram, like it's probably not going to write very well and you might not be as successful. So don't worry too much about the physical stuff. It's all mental preparation and being at that point, the best like platoon leader that you can be. Yeah. I think that, uh, if you, you know, that's another thing that I think you have to balance too, like looking too far ahead is like, if you are aiming too far ahead, you miss like the present moment and aren't applying yourself in the present moment. Um, which I think is another, like a trap that I think that people can fall into. It's like, um, like for example, like oh, I want to go SF. Like it doesn't matter how good I am as like a second lieutenant because I can just drop a pack and go SF. And it's just like right. you kind of miss like the 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 trees for the forest in terms of like you are missing like your short the ability to excel in the short term, which ultimately will lead to success in the long term. Yeah, like and and your formation might think worse of you if you keep saying it out loud too. Yeah, uh, I, I remember maybe a year ago. Uh, someone said that I look like the type of dude who kept telling people I was going to go to selection, um, which was not true. I would never tell my guys that on a regular basis because you don't want the platoon to think that you're better. You don't think they're good enough yeah. or that you're better than them. Um, you might have a couple guys ask you like, hey, are you considering this? And it's like, yeah, I'd like to go do this. But that means that you have to, if you answer them, perform to that level that they've expected of individuals that have been successful there, whether they're Green Berets or going to Ranger Regiment. You can't tell people I'm constantly going to these selections and then be an awful platoon leader because all they're going to look at you as is a guy that's either checked out of that current position or he's saving something up in reserve to go perform better somewhere else. Yeah, also like, uh, um, like even, you know, I never planned to go to regiment. I never even planned to go to ranger school, but just by the fact that you know I was or I, like put I, my, I put my full effort into my current position and my current job, I think that set me up for success down the road because you know uh, you can't plan for future success without having present success or doing well in the right. present. I think a lot of people can fall into that trap of like thinking only about in the future and not living or performing in the present time in their current job. Like thinking about the next job or setting them up for the next position or setting them up for the next, you know, next uh, selection or what have you. I think that's like a common trap that people can fall into, um, especially like people that are like, you know, are, you know, maybe like on the higher performing end where they are, you know, maybe have a little bit maybe think too much of themselves and, you know, have a little bit too much confidence in their abilities and then yeah. end up like underperforming because they're too focused on doing something like something in the future. And having those mentors too, like if you're exposed to individuals that have been there and done that, you know, and we can tie this back to whether it's at iBullock or basic or RTC at West point. I remember when I got told I was a year group later, I thought I was year group 11, and because my active duty date started in October, I was year group 12, and I'd have to wait another year for SF selection. I were talking to my mentor and asking, like, hey, is it worth waiting? Um, you know, there's this thing called Ranger Regiment, uh, which he had been in, and I, I started talking, and one of the things my mentor said to me was, 
SF deployments have slowed down significantly. By the time you would finish Q course, if you were successful, there is almost uh, like maybe a 2% chance that you would ever be a team leader in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. And he said, from his experiences, regiment is still deploying on the regular. Their guys are getting lots of reps in on raids. And he's like, if you really want to go do the door kicking mission with like the premier raid force, go to Ranger Regiment. And then I did a little bit more research and was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go all in on Ranger Regiment. And that's how I got to the 75th. I When I graduated Ranger School, I loved the Rangers that I went through with, but I always thought I'm going to go be a Green Beret. And then after getting to Regiment, I was like, no, this was the right choice. This was the place for me. Like, absolutely love the mission set. And then now seeing what some of my SF buddies are doing, I don't envy them because, I mean, that that mission that everyone thinks about growing up where you're raiding and jumping like that's ranger regiment the sf was much more like teaching kind of almost like um what's that unit that they started creating uh they were the s fat like very s fatty on like maybe a little bit you know more technical and a specialized level yeah i mean like i I didn't even want to go to ranger school until i got into the army i didn't want to go to ranger regiment until i got the ranger school you know it's just like uh, I didn't even know about these positions until I like was, you know, I would even be been able to have gone to the to have these experiences without being a high performer and performing well in my current job, you know, and doing well right. in the current job. And I think that's like a, I think that's like a, you know, a very um, a key point to take away is that you know, in order to be a high performer, you had to perform like in the current time and not just focused on the next step, you know. So I think if, as long as you're doing well at whatever you're doing, you're going to set yourself up for the next step, regardless of what. And you don't even realize, you probably don't even realize it, that you are no, setting absolutely. yourself up for success. Yeah. And like Bobby mentioned, if you are looking too far forward, like even if it's two years out, like that could set you back. Like, like when I was at 4ID, I was probably not the most fun to work with because all I wanted to do was take command and go back to regiment. I really didn't give a shit what job I was being tasked in the Brigade 3 shop. I didn't care if I offended somebody by my bluntness uh, or like my candid and honest feedback about, uh, you know, FTX planning or a live fire that I was planning. All I wanted to do was get it done, get it done as quickly as I possibly could in a, you know, sufficient manner in order to go take a company. You know, and as a result, I did not have a stellar reputation when it came to like interpersonal skills in my brigade. Like I was definitely known for like setting up really good training for getting stuff done, but commanders typically thought of me as being arrogant and not easy to work with because they thought I would just be too opinionated. And so because of, you know, looking too far forward, I was not focusing on just being like, just be the good person in this position. And if I had done that, maybe I would have taken command sooner, you know, would not have busted my wrist and would still be in the military at this point. But like things work out the way they do, but I definitely learned and could have been better at my job at 4ID, um, you know, but for looking too far forward. That's a, that's a great like, way to bring it back in. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of like uh, my thought process as I, as I saw that uh, question on the Instagram Q and a about, you know, thinking too about, you know, playing too far ahead. And it, that just made me think about, you know, if it thinking too far ahead is a bad thing or not. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about? 
yeah, again, don't, you know, going back to what we talked about last week, don't get too caught up in a narrative that either Fox News, CNN, MSNBC are, are putting out, like be a well-rounded citizen and, and read read the news from multiple sources um, that are both conservative and liberal and, uh, you know, come to your own conclusions, but do not think, um, you know, Armageddon is upon us based on what you're seeing in the news. Was it, isn't it, a, when is the inauguration? Uh, this Wednesday. Wednesday. 20,000 National Guard troops in Washington, D.C., like it, it looks nuts. I can't, I can't begin to think how many, well, all the tax dollars that are going to that, like, that's unreal. Yeah, imagine being on that duty, being mobilized to go sit in the nation. How pissed would you I be? I thought it... I would be... Because you're just sitting there. You're not even, like, doing anything. You're just sitting there. Oh, yeah, like, the, the guys that are asleep in the Capitol. Yeah. Like, I would be annoyed. I, I would have rather, instead of mobilizing the National Guard, do what they did, where they were going to bring up, like, you know, a brigade or something from the 82nd. I think you have a bunch of... Now, as it's America's unit, um, as much as people will shit on them, if you had a bunch of dudes in red berets stationed around the Capitol uh, with their gear maybe just tucked underneath their legs, just standing there, that would be like an image of kind of strength and power instead of, you know, overweight dudes and dudettes mm-hmm. with gas masks on their hips, uh, wearing fleece jackets and not having any nods mount on their ACH. Like, that... That is not uh, that is not intimidating. Yeah, inspire confidence. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I want these people that were so cocky to storm the Capitol in the first place to look at them and go, "Oh yeah, we're uh, hard pass. Uh, go back, retreat." Yeah, I do like the. I do um, want to shout out to the eighty second because I think the eighty second does get shit on a lot. Uh, oh yeah, but but. You have to admit, like, of all the regular army units to be in, it's either the 173rd or the 82nd that I would be in. Or, or, uh, fourth, Richardson. Yeah, 45. But, like, that's like, nobody goes to 45. I did. I wanted to go there. I wanted to jump in the snow. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you see a lot of dudes from regiment go back and forth at, at the battalion command level. Um, I mean, you can, they get all the gear before the rest of the infantry units mm-hmm. get them. Uh, I mean, they just, but, but with that, you know, there's that little bit of swagger that they think they're, you know, and they get a lot of the 18 X-ray and, uh, Rainier, uh, rasp. yeah, yeah. Rasp failures or, or dudes that have been, um, uh, RFS. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you do, you do generally get, I think maybe some more like, physically fit kind of badass types that maybe have failed out from elsewhere that are still going to try to be successful. Yeah. Also like, uh, I just think that, you know, they say about like in range regiment, you like volunteer three times, but you volunteer for airborne school, you volunteer for regiment or volunteer enlist, you volunteer for airborne school and then you volunteer for, for RASP. But just having that additional step, I think weeds out like a lot of individuals. Yeah. People are super proud to be paratroopers. Like there's no doubt. They've got a, they've got a kick-ass legacy. I sure as shit didn't want to put on a Stetson. I can tell you that much. I don't, I still don't want to put on a Stetson. Um, but I would have loved to have gone to the 82nd just because of the opportunities that they've had presented to them, both 
in Iraq, Afghanistan, it, it's like 375. Everyone knows 175 is the best, but when they want to send someone in to jump, they're going to send, you know, the palace guard, the guys that are right down the street. You know, you don't have to go find us on the beach to figure out, like, your, you know, next mission. You can just walk right down the street to the most angry, high and tight, you know, types that you have possible. But that's always why 175 is the best. And, you know, third just gets it by geography. Yeah. But anyways, just wanted to, to just say that, you know, you don't have to be in, you know, soft to be a good leader or to be, you know good at your job i think yeah i think being good at whatever you do whether or not you're in like self or not i think a good leader is a good leader and a high performer is a high performer and high performers are going to high perform yeah i think i know that then i think that was a good ending yeah it was a good ending this was this was a good podcast like if i do say so myself it was professional we didn't get on any tangents we really didn't. I don't think we shit on anybody like relentlessly. Yeah, the only thing was like the got your six tangent was a little was a little unnecessary. We're still recording right now, so <laughs> like <laughs> I thought the got your six part was probably the most pointed thing we talked about. Oh, the most poignant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, we'll end it with that. Uh, any closing comments, Sean? Buy ten thousand. Do not buy Lululemon. Are you posting? Uh, to the insta this it's week? you it's you this, oh, week. this week so for those of you that are looking for the military prep it'll be on the website uh we're going to be switching it off every week so those that you know are following both uh the functional fit and the military prep side of the house see their programming come up you know half the month um and also shout out to james uh our nutritionist we're getting he's going to get some work uh uh, more uh, clients through the personalized nutrition service. Um, seriously, if you guys have any um, questions or difficulty with your diet, nutrition, losing weight, gaining weight, increasing performance level, increasing your uh, or optimizing performance, definitely uh, invest in the personalized nutrition. James knows what he's talking about. I think he's done a great job with the nutrition side of the house. Um, all the infographics he's been putting up, uh, I think, are extremely beneficial. And he, you know, oh yeah. Actually, and I will vouch and say that he actually does the research um, and actually looks at the research, whereas um, I think I'm, I'm probably a little more bro science on some of this stuff. Yeah, but you're not like that when it comes to surgeries. It's just for nutrition. <laughs> yeah, just nutrition and a little more bro science. No, I just take it off. I'm going to take the knee off here. We're good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll end with that. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Later. <laughs>